But yeah, thanks for being here. We're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 9, if you want to turn a Bible there. Um, if you got one of these Bibles, it's uh, page 1087, uh, Acts chapter 9. We've been in a sermon series called Strengthen Yourself in the Lord. We as a church leadership been praying and just trying to do our best to, to link heaven and earth um, as, we, as best we can. And so the sermon series are a lot of that. It's like, okay, something we, we kind of feel stirring maybe in the heavenlies, but it also connects with the reality of, of the life that we're living in. And, and so the strengthening yourself in the Lord comes out of this concept where a lot of us burned a whole lot of fuel um, in the last couple of years. You know, 2020, best year ever. Um, we, we just, it was, it was like you burned a lot of fuel just trying to like keep it together if you kept it together. <laughs> and for those of us that didn't keep it together, you burned a lot of fuel and whatever that was. Um, and, and so we just kind of got this little bit of, you know, resounding kind of fatigue maybe in our souls. Um, but we also, we also just know that, that being a follower of Christ, we, we are called to be strong. Um, this world, this world is, is, a, is in a place where um, people are looking for, for strength. They're looking for leadership. They're looking for help. Um, I've told the story before, but it, it's, you know, in a crisis, there's three types of people. There's the person in a crisis who needs someone else to take care of them. And then in a crisis, there's the people that actually can take care of themselves, and all of that's great. Um, but then there's also a third type of person that in a crisis takes care of other people. And as followers of Christ, that is literally what Jesus said. He said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. You're, like you're going to be losing yourself for the benefit of somebody else. That's the whole concept of following Jesus. And so if we're going to be that third type of person, we really have got to figure out how to access strength beyond our own. Because if you're like me, the strength just doesn't do that much. I mean, if I could change the things about myself... You know, if I had the power to change some of those things, I would be different. I would be so smooth when I walked up here to those songs. I would just change that, and I would be like, wow, look at that, man. That guy's walk is so cool. Or if we could change things in society, if we had the power to actually change some of these things, it would be really great. And I think, you know, there's a lot of people, whether they're on, you know, different political sides, whether different nations, I think there are a lot of people in this world that honestly want to see justice and, and to see goodness um, but we've proven for thousands of years now that we don't have the power to really do it. Um, and so we have to access something beyond ourselves, beyond the power that we have. And that's what this is about, strengthening ourselves in the Lord. We look at David the king. We've looked at Samson the judge. And we heard from three moms, three powerful moms last week. Let me hear for the moms. They actually, they switched the microphone. I used to be on this side of my cheek. Now it's on this side, so if I go like this, it's like, what's up, everybody? And they're like, huh. So I have to learn to use my right hand for that. What's up, everybody? <laughs> Anyways, totally needless information. Um, but today we're going to jump over to the New Testament side of the Bible, and we're going to look at the life of a guy named Saul whose name was changed to Paul. Um, so I'll call him Saul Paul sometimes. That's, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's just trying to bring clarity that he, we're, we're going to introduce him today as Saul but he's later known as Paul the Apostle and wrote most of the New Testament. It's the same guy. So you ready? Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So, so we have an introduction to this guy named Saul. And he's breathing out murderous threats. 
I don't know what that conjures in your mind. To me, I go straight to road rage, right? The guy behind me, when I just cut him off, breathing out murderous threats. But this was Saul. This is the way Saul is introduced by the gospel or by the, by the writers of the New Testament. And, and probably this was this came to Luke, who wrote this, through people that knew Saul, and maybe even Saul himself. That this is what he was. We know in the, the chapter before, Acts chapter 8, we, we do see Saul just briefly, and he's basically the kind of religious official, um, like overseeing a religious event where they are throwing stones at a guy until he's dead because he was proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. And just because my brain's a little weird, I love that the New Testament says, meanwhile, because <laughs> he was mean. All alone still. I was all alone second service, all alone third service too. <laughs> so anyways, with this murderous threats, he went to the high priests of Jerusalem and asked for letters um, to the synagogues in Damascus, which is up north, so that if he found any that belonged to the way of Jesus, whether men or women, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. I mean, that phrase, I am Jesus. So Saul knew of Jesus, of Nazareth. I mean, there were other people named Jesus at the time. But he knew of Jesus and Nazareth. And he knew that there was a guy who was named Jesus, who was from Nazareth, who supposedly was going around healing people and doing all this good stuff. But he was also teaching things contrary to what Saul and his leaders in the synagogue taught. And so they they didn't like him. He was a threat. He was, he was dangerous. And so they conspired with the Romans to actually have him crucified. And once he was crucified, they all just kind of patted themselves on the back and said, we're not after to deal with that guy anymore. But then there was rumor that some of his followers were still kind of making a little noise. And so Saul said, I'll go get him. Send me, coach. And so he's on his way to go get him. And he just, he just, just, just maybe the day before, a few days before, had stood as the authority as one of those followers of Jesus was stoned to death. And now, out of this kind of shocking moment, he hears this voice say, I am Jesus. That must have been something for Paul's mind. And... Jesus says to him, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And if you, um, oh, sorry, sorry. Then the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound of the voice but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. He's just kind of in this blind stupor, so rocked, so upset, so distraught that he doesn't know what to do and he won't even eat. And then if you skip down some verses um, to verse 17, basically God speaks to one of his followers, a follower of Christ in, in Damascus. His name's Ananias. And he says, Ananias, I want you to go talk to Saul. 
um, I'm going to do something with him. And Ananias is like, no, Lord, he's coming here to kill people and to, and to, and to put people in prison. I don't want to go talk to him. God's like, I want you to. And Ananias is like, dang it. And so Ananias goes. And then in verse, 11, or verse 17, it says, Ananias went to the house and entered it. And placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, whom appeared to you on the, lo- on the road as you were coming here, has sent, me with the, to, um, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. We are doing baptisms today. It's Baptism Sunday. Um, yeah. And after taking some food, he regained his strength, or it says in the Greek, and he was strengthened. And so we're trying to figure out strength in the Lord. Here was a point in Paul's life where he was strengthened. And, it, and it's interesting because Paul felt strong at the beginning of this. He felt pretty, you know, convinced and strong and, and powerful, and he had authority from the powers that he was connected to. But then he went through a time of real weakness, weakness and now he's found strength again, but it's a different strength. At first we found Paul, he was fueled by murderous threats. He was fueled by anger and rage and frustration. He was filled with a zeal that he thought was for the Lord, but did not come from the Lord. And it gives us a little insight into what might be fueling our lives these days. And sad to say, people in religious institutions oftentimes are fueled by things other than God. They're fueled by a deep sense of shame, and so they get super, super religious to try and compensate. They're fueled by a deep sense of insecurity, so they think if I can just put everyone else down, then maybe they'll be a little bit more lifted up. They're fueled by a deep sense of self-righteousness or pride, thinking they're better than everybody else. It makes them feel real good to feel that way. And sad to say, in the name of religion, in the name of Jesus even, horrible, horrible atrocities have happened because of being fueled by this type of stuff. And this is not Saul's conversion, even though it says that in the little title there. I'm in, a, I'm in a fight with the Bible. But it's not the real Bible. That's just some guy later on said, let's put a title in here. Because Paul is not going from someone who doesn't believe in God to someone who believes in God. He's going from someone who believed deeply in who God was, but was just not aware of who Jesus was and what he taught about the Father. And so he has this awakening. He has this change. All of a sudden, the fuel source in his life is changed from that of kind of a self-righteous, humanistic, religious um, fervor to now, to now the Spirit of God. And what happens to Paul after this, I mean, I started to just kind of say, okay, what effect did Paul's life have, you know, after this, as he was filled with this new power? And I should not have asked that question. I've, I've, I found myself getting so deep into historical, you know, his, like, like Western, Westernization of, of, of the world, modern history, um, postmodern history. I found myself going into all these classics and Greek and Roman literature. I found myself hanging out with N.T. Wright. And you know if you're hanging out with N.T. Wright, you are deep at this point. 
Um, I was with Tom Holland. I was, I mean, I, I, was, I was going all over the place, and I was just blown away at how much impact the life and words of Paul the Apostle have had on the world, on civilization. You know that basically almost all of the, the good tenets of the Constitution of the United States of America are directly out of a Pauline-type worldview. I mean, it's, it's um, I just, I dare you. I dare you to block off seven weeks of your life and just answer, ask that question. How much impact? Just kidding. I mean, that, but literally, that's what it would take. It is deep, deep water. So I don't have time to get into all of it. Um, it's unbelievable. And obviously, it's Jesus, and then Paul carried the message of Jesus. Um, but what Paul did in, in kind of having this change of heart, really getting a new power source, is he took the good news of Jesus Christ to the rest of the world outside of Jerusalem. He got over his racism. Literally, he was a racist against Gentiles, and he became an apostle to the Gentiles. And most of you and I are in this room because of the work and ministry of Paul the Apostle. And it's still going strong the world over today. This power that, that Paul tapped into was serious, serious business. And it was very effective. And it wasn't just momentary or temporal, but it's, it's lasted. It's not like Tesla power. It doesn't need to be recharged. It's glory to greater glory. It's infinite. So with all that being said, you know, fuel is a big part of our world today. We're always talking about energy source and power and fuel. Are you fueled by gas or electric? Don't say everybody will hate you, whatever you say. If you're fueled by this ideology or that political persuasion, are you fueled by intersectionality or privilege? Are you fueled by money, position, or sexiness? Are you fueled by making people afraid of you? Are you fueled by Gatorade or Powerade? Somebody in first service said Power or Gatorade, and I was like, you're a richie, aren't you? Because Powerade's always cheaper. Gatorade's the rich kid stuff. They will never say something in church again, probably. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, it feels like oh, renewable energy sources, you know, energy sources that don't do bad. I mean, gas prices are right now. Unbelievable. Anybody know what it is in California right now? It's seven? <laughs> um, yikes. But anyways, we're talking about fuel. We're talking about power. We're talking about energy and all of these things. And Paul, in his writings in the New Testament, it is everywhere. Again, if you, could, if you want to just look up an interesting thing, say study, you know, just type into Google or whatever and say, you know, Paul's writings on power, and you will, you, will, you will be set for a long, long time. He's always talking about power. You know how C.S. Lewis wrote about the four loves in Greek, basically from the New Testament? Well, Paul uses four different words for power in Greek, and it's, it's just as deep and rich a study. It's unbelievable. And he jams them all into one sentence. One, because he's such a good run-on sentence guy. Um, but two, because he's just like, he's pulling out all the stops. He's like Coldplay on Thursday night when they came out. It was just like, not only was the sound, all that, the lights, and then there was like fire shooting up behind them. There was literally fireworks going on inside the stadium. And you were just like, what? Can they do this? It was awesome. But anyways, I'm going to sum up Paul's thoughts on power for us and the rest of this, okay? Again, 
this is, this is a joke. This is like tip, dipping your toe in something. But um, I got 13 minutes and 28, 27, 26, 25, 24, 23 seconds left. So here we go. 1 Corinthians 4.20, I think this is a great place to start. This sums it up well. Paul says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And the sad thing is if I was to ask you a question and you were to answer it, please don't. If you were to kind of answer the question, would you say that the Christian church in America or even our church or whatever, would you say it's more of a church of talk or of power? Most people would have to say it's talk. And for Paul, he said it's not supposed to be that way. Sometimes we make our Christianity all about whether we can say the right words or we can sound less stupid when we pray. Oh, we must be really progressing in the Lord because we know those words now or we say those things. And Paul's like, you know, there's nothing wrong with those things. And Paul was deeply about doctrine and theology, no doubt about it. However, it has to be secondary to the power of Christ. We are not saved so we can talk better or even know better. We're saved so that we can have power within us that helps us overcome sin and death and evil. You can yell it. Go ahead. Anybody want to say amen? Like the power is what this is about. And for Paul, that was so true. Next, he goes on and he prays these prayers for the, the churches that he was trying to, to, to bring into an understanding of who Jesus was and, and, and further in their relationship with God. And he prays these prayers and they are packed full of those power words in the Greek. Colossians 1 says this, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing in fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God and being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. And again, for us, we're just reading familiar English words, but these are, this is Paul literally like shooting off lights and pyrotechnonics and getting the sound and getting the, like he's saying, being strengthened with all power according to his might so that you have endurance. This is, this is what God is wanting to do in our lives. He's wanting to give us power. And Paul is praying that those people would understand that. In Ephesians 1, he goes on and says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the age to come. I mean, seriously. He has jammed so many power words into that sentence. He's basically just got his power shotgun, and he's just like, kaboom, kaboom. Kaboom, shooting with everything he has to help you understand the power that is yours in Christ Jesus. He calls it this incomparably great power for us who believe. Another one of those questions that's not that fun, please don't answer it out loud. If I was to ask somebody that knows you well, or maybe even you in an honest moment, and ask you, are you living a life that seems like it's 
plugged into incomparably great power or not, what would your answer be? Paul would really want you to know that you have incomparably great power in Christ Jesus. Then he prays in Ephesians chapter 3, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power at work in us. Oh, that's the tough part. I love it when it's like, yeah, Lord, show me your power. Do your thing. And he's like, I will. I want to do it through you. You're like, oh. It's his power at work in us who are so impotent and weak, and we fumble so much. But for whatever reasons, God's like, I'm going to show them all how powerful I am. Come here, doofus. <laughs> and you're like, huh? And he's like, huh? You? <laughs> you know, he's like, come on, let's do this thing. According to his power at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. So, you get a little taste of how badly Paul wants the people he's discipling, which includes us, to know and live in and experience and inherit the power, the fullness of the power that is our gift as people who have received Christ. Jesus didn't die on a cross, rise from the dead, and give you his spirit so you could be very nominal Christians. He gave it so that you could live with power. And the word that he, Paul uses so much, his favorite one is called dunamis. Go ahead and say it. It's fun, huh? Dunamis. Dunamis. You could slap somebody on the back of the head at some point and be like, dunamis. It just seems like something you should say. But anyways, dunamis, it's the where we get the word dynamite. And sure enough, you know, somebody who's never seen dynamite, maybe never heard of it, and you take a stick of dynamite and you put it right there. You just lay it down on the table and you're like, look at that thing, man. And they're like, what? It's like an overgrown cigar. You smoke it or something? You're like, back off, dude. You gotta smoke everything. <laughs> I don't know. That's what, maybe I need new friends. Um, but anyways, and then you light that thing, and they're gonna be like, what? What's the big deal? You know, is it a candle? It's kind of a sideways candle. What's going on? They don't know. But then, I mean, the analogy breaks down at this point because if you let it go off there, you both die. But, um, but that dynamite, it just doesn't look like anything, but it is packed full of power. And what Paul is wanting to know is he's wanting you to look in the mirror in the morning and you, and you to see yourself packed full of power. And again, it's not power so that you can feel powerful. It's not power for you so you can go out and dominate people. It's power so that you can actually lift the burden that somebody else is carrying. It's power so that you can actually serve other people. It's power so that you can get the most people across the finish line before you get there. That's what it means when the first shall be last and the last shall be first. 
in the kingdom of heaven, the, mo the person that gets the most people across the finish line first, they're the ones who are the first in, in the kingdom of heaven. And God wants us to fill us with that power so we can do these things. So you get the picture, and you're all feeling down and in the dumps and guilty about this, and me too, because we're not necessarily living with that power like we could and we should be. And that's okay. Don't quit on me now. Um, I'm going to take us now into three things that I think Paul is kind of giving practical teachings. Like if we want to see an increase in the power of God showing up in and through our lives, if you're like me and you're saying, I need, I, need to, I, I need to access that power more, how do I do that? Well, Paul, Paul links three things to the power of God that I think will be helpful for us in a kind of a practical way. So if you're taking notes, you can jot these down. If you have a photographic memory, it'll be up there. And uh, here we go. So first, how do we access the power of God? Well, Paul says in Romans 1.16, that the power of God is linked to the preaching of the gospel and the gift of salvation. So first of all, if you have not received the gift of God's salvation, all of this is for those who believe, those who have received Christ Jesus, who are in relationship with Christ, who have said yes to Jesus. This, this is, the power is access to them. But what he says here is, in, in 116, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. So real simple here. This one's simple. It might not be fun, it might not be cool, but this one is simple. If you want to see the power of God, start preaching the gospel. Now, I know there's got to be some evangelists in the room that want to shout right now. I didn't say you could shout. I'm just kidding. Yes, for sure shout. Please shout. If you want to see the power of God, preach the gospel. It's dynamite. Has anyone in here preached the gospel and seen the power of God show up? Has anyone in here had the gospel of God preached to them and the power of God showed up? Yeah, that's why most of us are in this room right now. Because someone preached the gospel to us and we were like, oh, scales, oh. We saw something different. We started moving and we were like, this is different, this is different, this is different, and it's sustaining us. It's given us endurance. It's helping us to know the depth of the love of God more. When the gospel is preached, it's a good chance for the power to show up. And Paul was a guy who knew this from experience. He was on his road to Damascus. The gospel from Jesus Christ and Ananias was preached to him. And the power showed up. And then he went around the rest of his life through prisons, through beatings, through travelings, through having a lot and having a little. And what he did is he gave his life to preaching the gospel. And guess who saw the power of God show up a lot? Saul Paul. The whole New Testament, the whole book of Acts is full of story after story after story of Paul and others going to preach the gospel around the world and the power of God shows up. It's one of the reasons my wife and I like to leave every once in a while, go to a place and preach the gospel. And we're going to Ireland with our family. We're going to preach the gospel. And I'm hoping to be able to send back stories of how the power of God has shown up. So, number two. Second Corinthians, Paul is teaching us there that the power of God is linked to our weakness. You don't have to woo this one. This one's not as fun. Therefore, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, 
in order to keep me from becoming conceited because of all this power I have and all this revelation I've been given, I was given a thorn in my flesh, Paul says, a messenger of Satan, which is creepy, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but the Lord said no. Instead, my grace is sufficient. Instead, I'm going to give you the grace that you need to endure. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly in my affirmities, in my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake, I've even begun to delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, uh, then I am strong. This one sucks. They don't preach this as a lot of churches. Because it's not good. I shouldn't say that. I haven't been to a lot of churches. This one's hard to preach. It's even harder to live. And I've seen some people in this church with great, great infirmities, losing everything, losing physical abilities, losing the ability to talk and walk, and wrestling with the Lord and coming to a place where they can say, there's something good here. There's a lot of bad here, but there's something really good here. And I'm so proud of them. I'm so thankful for them, and I'm so sorry for them. We don't know what this thorn in the flesh was for Paul. We, we don't know what it was. It's better that way. Because we all have thorns in our flesh. And yet somehow, if we'll find ourselves in those places and not run from them or hide from them, we'll find the power of God showing up. If you want to see the power of God, don't be afraid of weakness and pain. I'm not saying inflict pain on yourself. Life's plenty good at that. Just don't try and run from pain or hide from pain or numb your pain with abusing substances. Cry out to God in your pain and know that you're never closer to God's power than when you're in pain, when you're weak. I've told the story before, but my mom on her deathbed as she was losing her life. Cancer had taken over her brain. I felt like I was dying too. I asked her, I said, Mom, what's the Lord saying to you? Because she loved Jesus a lot. I said, is he saying anything to you? Because I need something. And she said, he told me that his power is over me to heal me. Remember that phrase. I'll never forget that phrase. And I thought, does that mean he's going to heal you? And she said, no, 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 no. She said that the Lord told me that because he wanted me to know how close he was, that his full resurrection, incomparably great power was right in the room all over her. And yet he had a different plan than to heal her. And that power showed up in such a way that she had peace facing death. And it gave me a little bit of peace facing her death. And she could say like Paul, yeah, this is not cool, this is not good, 
this hurts, this is pain, this is weakness. Yet there's a power here that's making it okay. And that's what Paul was trying to say. Is he's learned that there's a power there. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, there was a power there. Jesus was with them. In the valley of the shadow of death, David said, you are with me. Your rod and staff there comfort me. There's a power there with me in those places. And the last one, Ephesians 6, 10 through 13, um, Paul's teaching that the power of God is linked to our standing against evil. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may, able, be, may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything in your power to stand, something else is going to kick in and help you stand. Now, all you Enneagram 8s in the room are like, that's my verse. <laughs> yeah, let's go stand against something. Let's go fight against something. And there is something in Paul's mind. There's a link to where if you want to see the power of God show up in your life, go stand against evil. Don't be overcome with evil, but go out there in the world and find out where evil is winning and stand against it. Put yourself right in the middle of it. And you'll see the power of God show up. Think about David when Goliath was there. And Goliath was, was yelling all these horrible things. He basically was representing evil, antichrist. And David is just inspired by whatever's gone on between him and the Lord out with those sheep. And he's like, no! And he gets all fired up and he runs at Goliath down the valley. And what he got to see was the power of God show up. That this little man his little boy was able to take down the giant. And here's what's so important, you guys. Here's what's so important is it wasn't just for David. It's beautiful. David got to see the power of God show up. And I'm sure it was wonderful. And he went and harped about it. Played the harp. Not drank harp. Just played the harp. Player. Brutal, huh? But not only did he see it, but guess what? All of the terrified people of God who were not willing to stand against evil they got to see the power of God show up. And what may even be better is the enemies of the people of God. When they saw the power of God show up, they took off running. And this is what we as believers need to do. We need to be people who stand in the face of evil. Not all the evil everywhere, just the ones God's calling you to stand against, to go to. I love my Aunt Sharman. She was here in first service, and she came up to me afterwards. She was like, yep. And I was like, tell me. Because I know she just heard about the evil kind of happening in the war in Ukraine, and she's just at a point in her life where she's kind of on her own. She just got on a boat, literally. Crew, and like, it, was like a boat, it was like the cruise going back. It wasn't like actually on the cruise. It was like going back. She jumped on that boat, found her way all the way to Poland, and she was just there chopping up fruit, chopping up bread for refugees. And she was doing what she could to stand in the face of evil. And she's got to see so many stories of the goodness of God show up. She was just rattling them off. She got to share the gospel and see the power of God show up. And, and I'm, there's evil here. You don't have to go to other places. 
But whatever the Lord's stirring in your heart to do, if you want to see the power of God show up, go stand against evil. Stay in your weakness and preach the gospel. Yeah, amen. You'll get to see it show up a lot more. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that you have so many gifts for us as a part of this great salvation that you've dreamed up, that you've died for and risen for. And I pray, Lord, we wouldn't use all this power to be okay. We wouldn't use all this power to serve ourselves. But we would use it to put your glory on display and to beat back evil and to do justice, Lord. And Lord, I want to pray for everyone in this room who needs your strength. I think about those in this room that are really trying to forgive someone, but they don't have the power. I pray you'd help them today, Lord. Even if it's to forgive themselves. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who's having real, a lot of trouble staying faithful to their marriage vows. I pray you'd fill them with your strength, your dunamis power right now, Lord, your energy. Pray for anyone in the room who's trying to decide not to abort their baby. Should give them strength and vision about what you're going to do, Lord, the goodness there. Pray for anyone in the room who's contemplating taking their life. I pray your power would show up, Lord, and they would live. And for all of us, Lord, as we struggle so much to not harden our hearts against you or against people, I pray you'd strengthen us, Lord. And Lord, I just also pray for those who are getting baptized today that they would be hit with your power. That as they take this step of obedience, that your power, your spirit would, would come upon them and they would be empowered to live for you, to know your love, to endure patiently, to be a witness to others. We thank you so much, Lord, for your wonderful gifts. We pray all this in your name. Amen.